What, in addition to the right equipment, does it take for the job of film editing? Welcome to The Cutting Room. I'm your host, Gordon Burkell. This week I interview Bobby Osteen, Emmy-nominated editor and author of The Invisible Cut, How Editors Make Movie Magic, in which she examines closely the technique and art of editing through scene analysis. Now she also wrote Cut to the Chase, in which she interviews her husband, legendary film editor Sam Osteen, about his life and his career. Both books are fantastic, but I have to say my copy of Cut to the Chase is a little over a month old, and already it's dog-eared and bookmarked for future reference. It's definitely a must for the editing room. Now I caught up to Bobby just before her February 23rd interview with Tim Squires about his work editing Gosford Park. For other live interviews that she has done, you can always check out her website at www.bobbyosteen.com, which we'll also list with this podcast. But without further ado, here's part one of my interview with Bobby Osteen. Can you tell me how you got started in the film industry? I got started because I was immersed in it from a very early age through my father. And he got me in the union mm-hmm. um, when I was got out of college. And that was considered something safe and reliable and also exciting at the same time. And I was very interested in film anyway, so I felt very fortunate. You became Sam's uh, editing assistant. Uh, How did that come about? I was interviewing for a job at Warner Brothers, and the head of um, post-production took a liking to me because, I think partly because I went to Stanford, and he went to the junior college across the street. (laughs) (laughs) And he said, you can have your pick of what's going on right now. And my two choices were... Erwin Allen's disaster movie about killer bees with Michael Caine mm-hmm. and Straight Time uh, with Dustin Hoffman and Sam was the editor. Okay. And actually was a good editor on the other film, but mm-hmm. um, he advised me to take the Straight Time, which was a good move on so many levels. <laughs> now, how did... Sam's editing room operate, and how was it different from previous rooms you'd worked in? Um, it was an interesting, um, the, the history of that movie before I came on was interesting, and I think that ha- informed the, the setup in the cutting room. Ulu Grossbard, who was not that experienced a movie director, but was a theater director, came on after Dustin Hoffman decided he couldn't direct. The original plan was Sam wasn't even editing at that point. Mm -hmm. He was directing, but Sam was going to sit on the set with Dustin Hoffman and help him lay out the movie. And then when that didn't happen, it just just became complicated because Sam was on the set and he was also cutting, which he did a lot before that too, but it just, there were different people working on, there were a lot of editors there. Mm -hmm. There was one editor that was working with Ulu Grossbart, and just going over, after Sam had cut it, going over the whole movie, um, there were a lot of very long takes, and he was very performance-oriented, so he spent hours and hours going through and making sure he got everything he wanted. Um, one of the things that was interesting about editors have to be really diplomatic, mm-hmm. and I learned that lesson, especially on that movie, because Sam had put the movie in a cut, and... Then they gave the movie to Ulu Grossbart. He worked with 
a young editor, go, as I said, going through all the performances and spent months doing that. And finally, he handed it back to Sam and said, now you polish it on top of that. And Sam supposedly did. And then Ulu ran the movie and said, this is fantastic. Now it's perfect. And what Sam had actually done, because I was handling the trims, mm -hmm. was put it basically back to what he had it written. <laughs> but a diplomatic editor knows that sometimes the director has to go through that process to satisfy themselves and that you don't say, I told you so. You know, you, especially a director who's maybe not so experienced and just needs that exercise. But I just thought it was interesting. Sam never said a word. You know, you didn't. You know, you can't. You have to leave your ego at the door when you're an editor. <laughs> <laughs> and so, the politics of that was kind of interesting overall. Um, and the movie was, you know, it's I. It's really funny because I was listening to Movie Geeks United the week mm -hmm. before I went on for the Oscar show, and they were talking about Straight Time. And I guess Straight Time has become kind of a cult movie. Um, yeah. It's very interesting movie they just didn't know what to do at the end you talk about diplomacy in the uh, in the editing room and one thing that came up when i was reading cut to the chase was well there's there's actually there's two things but sam had a very unique sense of humor and it yes. really comes off the page how did you see him use his sense of humor to help sort of mitigate difficult situations in the cutting room and what can editors learn from this oh all the time i think um Talent is a big part of being successful as an editor, but I would say almost equally so is your personality and how you handle yourself in the cutting room, not only in terms of diplomacy, but in terms of empathy and humor, because this poor director is on the line. He, as Sam said in Cut to the Chase, if the movie's a hit, there's plenty of glory for everyone. If the movie's a bomb, the director is on the line. And the reality is what the editor, what the director envisions compared to what the reality is in the cutting room, what the film really is, is, is pretty painful in a way, um, usually. I mean, usually you really have to compromise your vision. And, and the direct, editor's job is to hold the editor's, director's hand and, and make him find some sort of comfort level with, you know, it's, what does Sam say? It's only shadows on the wall. Or, hey, you'll drive by the theater one day, it'll be there, you know, it, we'll get through this, you know. But you really do, I mean, his humor was occasionally a little too sadistic. There were times when I was, I would cringe, but somehow partly enjoy it. But I think overall, I think he, he was especially good for someone like Mike Nichols, who is a very intense wor worrier, and Sam just didn't worry. He really was not a worrier at all, and so his... He sang all the time when he cut, um, which, by the way, Carol Littleton does, too. I found that out recently. Well, I was going to say, um, I've, I've met a lot of editors who hum or sing while they work. Yeah, but I think it's also, he used to sing when he'd walk into a room in a, in a, in a stressful situation. I know he sang to chill himself out, too, and, and to chill people out around him. And I just think that it's a very confining space, the cutting room, and, you know, it's Editors do sometimes know tech technically more than other people. They know the film better than anyone. And sometimes they know more than the director in terms of technical aspects or even, you know, in a lot of areas of filmmaking. But you can't 
be right for its own sake or mm-hmm. try to get score points. It's, it's, you have to be a collaborator. It's so incredibly important. And those, those editors are the ones that become successful. You know, mm-hmm. they have talent, but they can also work as a team. And that, as I talked about in both Cut to the Chase and The Invisible Cut, the marriage of the editor and director is, it is like a marriage. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the give and take and, and trusting each other and all of that, you know, it's, they're they're with the director longer than anyone mm-hmm. from the beginning to the end <laughs> to the yeah. bitter end yeah you know could you give us i guess some insight into sam's character when i read the book it leaps off the pages um, <laughs> but i want to encourage people to read your book because it's so insightful uh i guess and his character plays a big part in that yeah i think i think first of all the reason why i started off with his childhood is because he's he's one of those Horatio Alger, All-American success stories. He started out with completely in great poverty during the Depression and, you know, drove across the country in the Dust Bowl era and really had no breaks. And he was, I think he was 39 when he first started cutting. He had to wait. He just happened to be across the street from Burbank Studios when he was a kid. He got a paper route. He saw editors watching movies all day and said, this just looks like fun. He bribed his way onto the studio lot and just became entranced with movies. If he hadn't lived across the street, that wouldn't have happened. But, you know, he was so lucky because he found the perfect job for himself. But I think he was he was tough, you know. Mm-hmm. He, he was a survivor because it, it was so hard. And one of the things which may be relevant is, um, in terms of your question, is that I uh, was at a moderator at Edit Fest in mm-hmm. L.A., which is a wonderful festival for film editors. And I wasn't even in the room when Joel Cox was talking. He's Clint Eastwood's editor. And somebody mm-hmm. ran out and said, Bobby, you have to come in and listen to this. And Sam had never mentioned him, but he was talking about Sam. And he said, we all came up together in the Warner system waiting forever, being on a bicycle or being in a print shop, which was Sam's story, I think Mm -hmm. years and years of waiting. And he said, there were a whole group of us and Sam stood out. He was my inspiration. He, you know, I am what I am today because of Sam Osteen, because there was something about him that was just so sure that he Mm -hmm. was going to make it. You know, he had no doubt. He was incredibly confident. You know, he was just a very had a very strong character and and you know his focus was just so intense he knew what he wanted and he was going to wait mm-hmm. and he was tested many times you know when he first started out as every editor would be am i talented do i know what i'm doing mm-hmm. and he as you as you could tell from the book he did some really ballsy things yeah very gutsy <laughs> oh my god like you know, when he was waiting for that, that executive to get back to him and he just started cutting or, you know, just certain things that he would do, I, I just can't believe it. I would never <laughs> do it. And, you know, he, he was really legendary among, to this day, among younger editors because, you know, he, his, just his attitude, his, he loved what he did. He was lots of fun. But he was also, you know, he would, his favorite expression was F him, you know, like he just like empowered editors to just, if you, 
think you know what you're doing, then you probably do and fight for yourself, you know, and he was really, he just, I mean, I think a lot of it is just inherent to who he was, you know, but he was lucky because if, if he hadn't found that niche, he was a terrible student. He was a terrible soldier, uh, you know, so he was not good with authority figures, but he, he found that, that perfect niche for himself. And of course, as you know, editors also have to have inherent characteristics. They have to have a sense of rhythm. He had an incredible sense of rhythm. You you can't learn that. You, yeah. know, you have to have an eye. And, um, you know, you have to have certain instincts that he happened to have, you know. Now, you, you mentioned that uh, he, he got to see a lot of the editors from the silent era. In particular, I think about Owen Marks, who cut Helen's Babies or and later went on to cut Casablanca, and Ralph Dawson, who cut uh, Lady of the Night and Desert Song in the silent era. How was Sam influenced from these early editors, and what can, I guess, a young up-and-coming editor now learn from the silent era that Sam might have learned? I think even more than the silent era, I think learning about what it was like to cut film is really important. I can't tell you how much the older editors are talking about that now. Mm-hmm. Because, and I guess this was true with silence. I mean, hot splicing where you had to glue, you know, glue film together and then you got to regular splicing with tape. But in those days, you know, you, you had to really think before you cut because every cut was a commitment and it would show and the splices would show and you would lose a frame and nowadays um, there are wonderful things about computers in terms of being able to experiment and make changes but all the editors that I've, I've heard a lot of editors talk now and they the ones who have straddled film and computers say you know to have to cut in a linear fashion they still hold on to that you know mm-hmm. like carol littleton said she put it in a first cut and that was her cut she didn't do 20 versions yeah so there's this sort of focus and um and and for that reason one of the things he learned from those old-time editors is if you're struggling with something put it on the bench and let it heal mm-hmm. you know don't don't obsess about it and work it to death go back to it later you know, and that's something that you could not do on computers. You know, you would, you might just, just well, but I can do 20 versions. <laughs> Why don't I just keep playing? But there's a certain point where you, you're always audience, and you have to step back and get perspective. And and there is a quote from Sam where he said, "Editing is about thinking, not cutting." Mm-hmm. You know, so I think that's what he learned from those guys. You know is a certain certain discipline about telling the story. Now, that brings me to a, an interesting point, because in Blog Talk Radio, you mentioned, you or you talked about assistant editors not even being in the rooms anymore, the way they used yeah. to be, prior to this digital revolution. So I'm wondering how we as a, an editing community, I guess, can alter the editing room or the post-process to make sure that assistants are getting the education that they need. Well, you know, What's interesting is I still think it comes down to the generosity of the editor. Mm -hmm. And you have the range of editors who are threatened by their assistants because they think they're going to take their jobs, which happens. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And 
editors that are generous with their knowledge and really want to help. And even in the computer age, like Carol Littleton says, the way she she's incredibly generous. Mm-hmm. She's known as a mentor by so many people. And she said, you know, that she she will let them co-edit with her or cut cut mm-hmm. scenes. And you you just have to be more conscious about bringing them into the process. It's not automatic. Where whereas with film, an, an assistant would have the luxury to not only stand behind an editor but play this kind of mind game. Like, I wonder what PC is going to ask for, or he or she's going to ask for. You know, and anticipating the choices and watching an editor's system. And you can still, I mean, you can still look at the original dailies and see what the editor did with them. So you do have, if you really are motivated, you can, you can watch that. You know, you can look at the, compare them. But the truth is you're never going to learn unless you do it. So you just have to, it's, it's, this has never changed. You have to be willing to do anything to volunteer for every, any time anything comes up, please let me cut. I mean, Sam cut under the table for years before he was a, uh, a legitimate editor. Mm-hmm. You know, just you have to try everything, and that's how you learn. And every editor would say to you 10 years ago, they weren't as good an editor as they are now. You know, mm-hmm. every even editors who are really established, well, uh, it's a constant learning process. So just be aggressive and ask to cut, <laughs> and, and, you know, just those are the people that make it. Every time I, I hear a story, how did you get started, they always say, I just went in and said, let me cut something, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess to jump back to um, Sam's early work, he started out working at Warner Brothers, and I was wondering if, because the way, the way he mentions or he talks about the working conditions, I was wondering if you could give our audience a sense of what it was like to work in the studios back then? I think it was good and bad because you had a job. It was like working for a corporation. You you had tons of movies being put out every year, and it was almost like a factory. So you would just – editors did not choose what they cut, and they got a lot of – they cut a lot of films in one year several films, whereas now that would never happen. And everything was, every department, there was a trailer department, there, you know, that there was, it was just all a, a very smooth, well-oiled machine, you know. And uh, the bad part, which is, and Sam was a victim of this, was the union was completely closed yeah. and very much about nepotism or, um, really supporting the weak and keeping out the strong. And the fact that, you know, you as you read in Cut to the Chase, what he had to go through and how they, the, you know, there was some sabotage even. And then that amazing story where the day he was, in, he was eligible to cut, he got that call from the director. Yeah. But how many people are that lucky, you know? So it was really unfair. You know, you couldn't, just if you had talent and drive, that wasn't enough. Now, there was one one department in particular that was mentioned in the book that actually caught me off guard because I'd never even heard of it, which was the montage department. Yeah. Um, I guess, could you give the audience a sense of what the montage department would do, but also how come producers, directors, and editors weren't worried that it wouldn't mesh with their work? Well, first of all, directors didn't have 
many rights at all. Mm-hmm. It was a very different world for them as well. They they didn't get their own cut. You know, they were mm-hmm. pretty much out of there within a few days. And if they if they protested, they could be blackballed. That was the other thing that was going on. If you gave anybody a hard time, you could be blackballed and the studio heads would call each other. And so creatively, the directors really didn't have any say. I just think it's one, one another aspect of filmmaking that was very much a, about a factory. We need a montage, we'll cut a montage. And, and it was just nobody questioned it. And I think movies were more montage heavy then, too. Mm-hmm. I think um, nowadays audiences are much more sophisticated. So if you do time jumps, you don't have to literally show everything. And I think it was just much more literal-minded in those days. That was part one of my interview with Bobby Osteen. I'd like to thank Bobby Osteen. I'd also like to thank Carol Eisner for setting up this interview, as well as my producer, Lauren Woodcock. I'm Gordon Burkell. Thanks for listening.